0: Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lucas there of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. Hey, everybody. Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. So thankful you come back around on this Wednesday because we got a blues treat for you tonight. You know what? Chicago, for me, is the home of the blues, right? It's where I cut my teeth. It's where I got all my first starts. It's where I learned how to play with other people in a band setting on a stage in front of an audience. It's where I was groomed to some degree in order to shuffle and shuffle and shuffle again. Yeah. And there are so many great players in the city of Chicago And many of them go without notice unless you're around there, you know, unless you swing through quite often, you know, unless you're here all the time for the Blues Festival and hanging out in the venues and stuff like that, you know, these guys go unnoticed. And so what I want to do today is I want to bring spotlight to one of the best players in the city of Chicago when it comes to blues guitar. And I'm talking about the one and the only, he's both, one and only, Mike Wheeler. Now, Mike's played with everybody. My gosh, you know, he's hes a name in the city of Chicago. Everybody knows Mike Wheeler, everybody that plays. There's two things you know about Mike. One is he's a super, super nice guy, very gracious, and number two, he can play the friggin' blues. <laughs> That's what you know about Mike. And so, uh, you know, when this whole COVID thing hit and everybody went down to one knee, you know, I got the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with my friend Mike Wheeler and just talk about the condition of the industry, what's going on, his music, his gear, everything that you want to know that would involve Chicago Blues and the one and only. That's right, he's both one and only Mike Wheeler. So here you go. Without further ado, Mike Wheeler. Hello. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy Warren here. Hey, Jimmy. I'm good, buddy. How are you?
1: I'm all right. Holding up.
0: Yeah, hanging in there.
1: Trying to. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's been crazy
1: Yeah, I know
0: I know, man At least I see you're doing some things, though
1: Yeah, you know The things like You know, just trying to stay busy You know It ain't like Probably gonna never be like it was, but
0: Yeah Yeah, it's gonna It's gonna take a while for sure For anything to To come back around Yeah Yeah, it's kinda Kinda weird You know, I know uh, I've been doing a lot of gigs Down in like central Illinois there's a lot of a lot of smaller places that that are doing outside stuff, you know. Okay. But I don't know what's going to happen, you know. Once, once winter gets here, you know, I don't know if that'll all stop or what, you know. Yeah, the future is unknown. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it gives us time to hone our craft. Yeah, it does <laughs> yeah, it does yeah and the other thing too is it it gives us time for you to continue to show pictures of uh, of your your pedal collection and your gear and that online which I really dig
1: oh thanks man I I got so much stuff man I've always been like that so that you know whatever I like I, I, I all that they make of
0: it <laughs> yeah I know I know how that goes i'm I'm obsessed with it myself. <laughs> I got so much stuff. You know, I wanted to, to uh, you know, you, you've you been kind of a, a mainstay, a staple, if you will, uh, in the city of Chicago, you know, for for quite some time. You know, you've had a, a really, really good career, it seems like. You know, you've done a lot of really cool stuff, played with a lot of great people in that. But I thought maybe we could step back and uh, maybe talk about how Mike Wheeler got started. You know, what influenced you to pick up the guitar in the first place?
1: Well, mostly it was uh, my my mother and father's record collection, you know, and hearing music when I was young. And, uh, you know, stuff like Muddy Waters and Freddie King, B.B. King, Buddy, they were saying all that type of stuff. And, man, I, I had to be like six or seven, you know, hearing it and just loving music. And then as, as I, when I became a teenager, my my brother, he bought a guitar, two guitar lessons, and and he found out that it wasn't for him, and he ended up giving me the guitar. And, you know, I taught myself pretty much. You know, I bought books and, of course, bought records and listened to them, and, and I, I was listening to all genres of music, so it kind of helped me, you know, learn how to play.
0: Yeah. So did you ever go on to, to take any kind of formal lessons, or were you always 100% self-taught?
1: A hundred percent self-taught. I never, you know, I never took any lessons. But I take that back. I went to one guy. It was this guy that um, used to work while I worked uh, at UIC, and uh, he was a guitar teacher. And I think I went to his. But I was grown. I was, I was in my thirties or whatever. But I went over <laughs> yeah. there, you know, because I wanted to learn how to read music. Yeah. And uh, I think I took like one lesson, two with him, and he was telling me that I was holding my hand wrong, my fretting hand wrong, and I was like, well. You know what I'm uh, I'm gonna have to cuss stop these lessons because I'm, I'm I'm already comfortable in the way I'm playing so I'm not gonna change that. So
0: right, yeah. After after you get in a routine, you know, yeah, yeah it's 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 hard to to switch over and reposition your hand like that.
1: Yeah, and I also I also hold the pick. You know, different. Uh, I hold the pick with my thumb and my middle finger. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. What kind of what kind of pick do you use? A regular, like, Fender-style pick, or do you use a jazz I use pick?
1: a, the, I use a uh, Dunlap, the black ones, the Dunlap 1, the one millimeter, oh. whatever they call it, the 1M.
0: Yeah, the the small jazz 3-pick? No, delete? it's a regular pick. It's a regular pick, yeah. Uh-huh. Do you use the, the point side, or do you use the fat side? Because I know some guys use the fat side.
1: No, I use the point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, were, you, were you raised, are you from Chicago, Mike? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So as you were growing up, you know, you were probably right in the heart of, you know, all all the really good stuff, you know, back in the day. You know, I mean, you had to be, because I, I remember when I used to come up to the city, and this is back in the late 80s. You know, all the, the great, I thought they were great players, you know, like Lefty Diz and Buddy Scott and, uh-huh. you know what I mean? All those kinds of cats were, Little Max Simmons and all these guys were all around and stuff. And so right. you were probably right in the thick of it.
1: Well, pretty much. I mean, really, as a musician, because I was a teenager, so I was more influenced by the guys in the neighborhood. It was, it was like bands on every block.
0: <laughs> yeah you,
1: know, you know i was I was influenced by those guys and right across the street from me it was a couple of musicians and, and on same same side from my street of my block it was musicians so and um they um they had a block party um show in my basement in my father's basement one time, and you know I'm just sitting there and they had the equipment and stuff, and I would mess with that stuff you know, so I was more influenced by those guys, but as I got older, you know I started uh, you know, seeing Buddy Guy and all
0: those cats. Right, right. So, uh, when you, uh, first started playing, you said your brother got a guitar. Uh, was it an acoustic guitar?
1: No, it was electric.
0: Yeah? What, so what kind of guitar did you start off on?
1: It was, a uh, Tiesco. Did they call him Tiesco? Yeah. Or like that? Yeah. Yeah. Tiesco, Tiesco. Yeah, it was
0: one of those ones. With like, four
1: pickups. I was like, wow, you know? <laughs> Do you it was, still- it was, it was a guitar, but to me, it was, it was, uh, it was a nice guitar, and, um, I got a funny story about that because I, around that time I got in the Queen and I and I found out that uh, Brian May had made his his guitar, so I figured, I'm I'm gonna take the guitar part and put it back together. And stuff. And then I took the guitar part; it was broke forever. <laughs> but then I didn't have any guitar, and, and this girl ended up giving me a Kingston guitar. So that was my second guitar, Kingston.
0: Yeah. What, what kind of amp were you using?
1: Actually, I didn't have an amp. Uh, on well, my I used to um, buy like a, it was a mic mixer and play it through the stereo.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: And then it was a um, a guy across the street from me. He had a, a silver tone out. He would let me ball that every now and then.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of guys played through through stereos.
1: It actually sounded yeah. good, but yeah. the mic mixer it had a just some you know a, a distortion to it. So I was like, wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to go out and get any kind of the. Distortion pedal, that's cool. Right,
1: and I didn't have no money to get one anyway.
0: But <laughs> so it was perfect. <laughs> uh, so, so you took an interest uh, at that point in time to to build. Did you ever go on to to build any guitars of your own?
1: No, after that, I didn't want to have anything to do with building nothing. <laughs> I, was, I was frustrated. I was like, I'm going to pay to have the best build them, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know how that works. I'm the, I'm the same exact way. I could probably do it, but I, I don't I don't dare risk it. You know what I mean?
1: No, that that deterred me from doing anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me when I was in high school, I took shop class, and you had to take a, a lawnmower uh, motor apart and put okay. it back together. And I could I couldn't get that sucker back together, save my life. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> know, I mean, so but everything
1: ain't for everybody. That's what I found out. You got to find out what you good at it. And- go with that <laughs>
0: yeah so uh you know i i uh i notice a lot of the times i see you playing a, a strat or it looks like maybe an es335 sometimes and then yes. uh are, are those your your main two that is that your go-to guitars or do you just you know it depending on what kind of song it is or you got a big collection you know that kind of
1: well I, at one point i had a big collection i had like 35 guitars but i'm down to i'm down to about i think eight guitars right now and i'm mostly in the vintage guitars you know yeah but uh yeah the, the, the strat is my is my main guitar yeah when, when i saw jimmy i just wanted a strat and that's all i want, you know but then um when i started doing recordings i would notice that that the, the leads and, and the riddles would sound the same and i was like Wow, maybe I need to get a different guitar with do the rhythm zones, you know. Yeah. You know, cause for the tone and stuff. That's when I started playing three thirty fives. Yeah. And for a little while I was playing Les Pauls too, but once I started playing guitar uh vintage guitars, the vintage Les Pauls are just out of the question, they're unaffordable. So I stick with the three thirty fives and the strats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about the strat that that you really like?
1: Oh man, it's the, it's the feel and the shape of it and um uh, and the sound, but like I said, I was just so crazy. I was just so Jimmy Hendrix crazy that I just had to have one man. And, and then you know I saw other other people like Curtis Mayfield, Richie Blackmore, Eric Clapton. And
0: yeah. it just
1: you know, I just it's all I would want it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so uh, the strats that you have are are they stock? Do you modify them?
1: No, I don't. I don't modify
0: them at all. Yeah, yeah. No. So you um, like, so, so you if like I that? And they already
1: modify, but most if they're too modified, I probably wouldn't buy them anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a bad habit, you know. I do. I mean, I, I got some that that are that are stocked. You know, I've got some old vintage stuff that's stocked, but uh, I, I I got a bad habit when it comes to strats. I like to buy the Mexican ones, and then then change all the electronics and hardware
1: well you know what i had a couple of mexican strats back in the day and man they were making them good mexico yeah. and japan was making good guitars yeah and um yeah i, that, I would change the pick up the stuff back then you know but once i started um playing the vintage guitars i, I stopped doing that
0: yeah well you know yeah when you got something vintage you want to keep it that's why that's why you got it
1: Right, keep it as close to what it's
0: supposed to be right 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 now i I know that you have pedals you know you' I've seen your you post you know different stuff on there, but I know a lot of guys that are you know uh in the blues and that you know they're they like to go straight to the amp you know are are you straight to the amp or are you just you know a couple of pedals do you got a, you know a board i mean how, how do you how do you run that?
1: Well, I got a um, matter of fact, I have like five pedal boards, but I mean, I don't, I don't overuse the pedals. You know, I just use them to kind of enhance what I'm doing. Yeah. A lot of times, I I play straight, you know, with no pedals. But you know, and then when I when I do use like an overdrive, you know, it's, it's just kind of like to enhance it as opposed to you know really rock out with it, right? You know? And pff, it's pretty much clean, you know.
0: Right, you're just trying to get a little bit of a bite. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. Push it up some, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are, are you a big fan of reverb?
1: No, I'm yeah. not a big fan of reverb, but I have to at least have a little bit. I, my reverb never goes past two.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of reverb. I like to stack delays. Do you do that? Oh, you do that? Yeah, I love to stack delays. I run them through the effects loop. I got three... Three different delays, you know, just all set different. I mean, it's not too much overkill. It gives you the, you know, it gives you the the effect of the reverb without the the mushiness.
1: And you use all three of them at the same
0: time? I do. Wow. Yeah, and and it's not it's not you know they're they're set real subtle. Like I said, it's like almost like a stair step, but. Um, uh, but it's enough, because if you use too much reverb, you know what I mean? It gets that, it kind of just like swallows up the, it mushes up the, the sound. And, and the thing about the the delays is if you stack them right, you can keep the cleanness of the tone, but yet you can still get that, that fullness that you're really looking for, that you want in, you know, that, that you should want in a reverb, but um, I don't know. I, well, I guess
1: when you know what you're doing, you know. So uh, I if no, you can,
0: I don't.
1: When <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you stacking them, you you know something. <laughs> but see, with me, with my with my delay, I have I have one set that I that I can use and works on any tempo.
0: Yeah. So
1: that that's kind of the one I like. And it's kind of like I, what else would you say? Like a, maybe a David Gilmore type. Yeah. Type. Type heels, you know.
0: Yeah, I I used to have one that I would put on my board that I would use for leads. In that, but I got away from it, you know. I just, I just wanted that, that fullness in my sound, you know. So whether I'm playing something soft or whether I'm playing something hard, it, you know, I wanted a consistent tone. That's really what I wanted. Oh, sure. You know. So
1: what is your, what is your favorite delay
0: pedal? Uh, well, my favorite is the uh, Timeline, but I also really love the Wampler uh, Fox uh, tape echo, the original one. That, pe- oh. that pedal's really nice in that i got i got two of those in a timeline is what i run in succession and uh and i don't use the reverb off my amp i use the hall of fame oh yeah i have one of those. yeah and i just i'm like you i just put it on like one or two you know just you know real subtle because i don't want i really don't want you know too much reverb in there at all oh cool i f- i found out through through uh Through my years of doing the radio show and now doing this podcast, talking to all these guitar techs and guitar players, you know what I mean? You start talking to all these different people on how they do things, and so Uh I started experimenting, and so, you know, I started using, you know, lots of delay in, in real modest, you know, consumption. You know, they're set really, really low, but I also use a lot of EQ pedals. I got three EQ pedals on my board. Oh, wow. You know, and so because I I I finally learned you know it took me a long time, it I finally learned how to get a consistent sound through through my entire chain. So whether I step on my 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 uh, what I would consider my solo pedal, you know to do to do solos, I mean it 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 gives it the the bite that you want, like what you were talking about, but it keeps a consistent a consistent really clean pure tone. You know something like. I like the tone, like what, Robin Ford, you know, that kind of tone. Okay. You know what I mean?
1: So do you use a compressor, too? you use a compressor?
0: I do. I actually use, I used to use the Boss FET1 uh, preamp at the head of the chain, but now I, uh, since it's, you know, it's really collectible, I switched over and I'm using the um, JHS Clover preamp. So so I have that preamp, which has a... um, Um, an EQ on it right and then I run into uh, a Wampler Ego compressor and then it goes into the my mod uh, pedals which for me is just a uh, uh, univibe and a octaver and then it goes into another um, uh, it's an earthquake tone job um, uh, EQ pedal Right, and that runs, okay. and then that runs into. I got two archers. I used to have a, I used to use my clon, but I don't take it out no more. So I have the, okay. arch, I have the archer, and then I have, um, uh, um, I have the dumb kudo, which is a, a dumble style pedal, and then the ultraphonics is my, um, lead pedal, and then I have an EQ after that, after that, uh, lead pedal. Wow, and everything's everything's on, you know what I mean, at all times except for the mod the mod pedals, of course, and then my lead pedal, and uh, and then the uh, the delays are run through the the effects loop. I don't know. It's probably so. Your your you know,
1: you EQ, you just leave it set at that at one set.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Now I used to use the EQ. I used to use an EQ as a boost. You know um but what it is is uh, you know you you have a preamp on your on your amp of course you know but when it starts to run into your board you know uh the signals and 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 everything that's going on you know with the different pedals and stuff starts to alter you know your tone and so and i'll tell you where i learned it from i i did an interview with uh, david gilmore's uh guitar tech once Okay. And he was telling me that David Gilmore he would run those uh, BK Butler uh, uh, tone drives, you know, the tube drives. I mean, uh-huh. and he would EQ after each one. And the object was was that he wanted to get a, uh, the 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 bite and the, you know the the drive from it, but he didn't want it to muddy up the sound, so he would use the EQ to clean it up. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I guess that's a good thing about having the tech. You can have him do all that work.
0: For
1: you. <laughs> tell him what you want and he figured out.
0: Well, I tell you what, when, if I'm not playing, and I'm not doing nothing and you need a tech, just let me know. I'll come help
1: you. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll be glad when I get to making that kind of money while
0: I need it. Oh no, I don't need no money. I'll just come do it. I'd love to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do, I love that, you know.
1: Oh, I wanted to ask you about your client. How long have you had that?
0: Oh my God! I've had I've had mine probably eight years.
1: Okay,
0: eight eight to, eight to ten years somewhere in that ballpark. And that and it was it was that pedal that one in that Boss Fet One preamp uh, were the two pedals that I I got that kind of kicked me into starting to collect pedals. Oh, uh-huh. you know because I Man, I had I had a um,
1: clone that I bought from my friend Al Spears. And, uh, I think he, like, right then he sold to me for like, it was like $600. It was something like that. Or whatever. Therefore it got all crazy. Oh, yeah. And then, um, he had a, a black 335 that he was selling. So I sold him the climb back and bought the 335. And, and man, I, I, you know, I, I kind of regret it because, you know, <laughs> but I, I love the black 335. I still have it today. And it's one of my favorite guitars. But, you know, I just got rid of that climb so easy to like, like, it wasn't
0: a thing, and then later on, they just skyrocketed. Yeah. Yeah, there But, they're... Yeah,
1: that, that sound is unbeatable,
0: man. But you know what? Uh, if, if you really like that sound, and and I'm one of those guys that if I like a sound, I'll buy every pedal that mm-hmm. is supposed to be the clone to that. I did that with all the Dumbo pedals. I probably have every single Dumbo clone pedal there is. Oh, but, wow. And I did that with Klon, and I found out that the Silver Archer... Uh, they're, they're like, it's like an overdrive boost. It's, this is a silver. It's by JJ rocket. Okay. And that, that one sounds to me as somebody who owns a clone and, and, you know, has used it, it sounds identical.
1: Oh yeah. How much, how much are
0: they? I don't you know. know. I'm going to say they're probably around 200 bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really affordable. You know? Yeah. Not Cause like, I
1: bought, the, I bought the KTR, the one that they came out with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's cool. Yeah, for
0: what it's worth, the tumness is really good too, and that's by uh, Wampler.
1: Oh, okay. I would
0: say that one's really, really close as well. You know, yeah. There's so many, so many of them out there, Mike.
1: I know. You go broke trying to buy every one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the way I am too. I, I have to send my wife out of the house. It's like. I think UPS is going to be here soon. Get out of here.
1: Uh, well, I'll try to get it off before she comes home from work.
0: <laughs>
1: it doesn't always work out like that, but oh well.
0: Yeah. So, you know what? Tell tell me, you know, a, a little bit about the progression, you know, of your career. You know, what was, uh, what was the first major, you know, uh, w- let me ask you this. Let me step back. Was there somebody in the city of Chicago outside of a neighborhood guy? that kind of took you under his wing at some point? You know, some artist, you know, like Buddy Guy or somebody like that. Was there anybody like that?
1: Mm, Well, later on in my career was uh, Jimmy Johnson. I would say Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. And I started playing with him, you know. But I had already been out here for a few years before that. But he was the one guy that that, that I played with, I can identify with more than, you know, everybody else. And kind of like... Wanted to emulate what he did, you know, as opposed to you know writing songs and leading the band and and just this whole this whole um, attitude and the way he treated his band and all that. So I would say it was Jimmy Johnson.
0: Yeah, hey, he's a great player. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've always enjoyed his music. Yeah. So you 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 know you've had the opportunity over the years though to you know, being in Chicago, you know, playing the Mines and, you know, all the other venues around the city and that you've, you've had the opportunity to play with a lot of great people.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, the Lurie Bells, he's another, another cool cat, uh, John Primer. Yeah. Um, Lindsay Alexander is a bunch of them, man. And, uh, you know, um, i worked a, i worked a day job for years man i i-, re, I retired from um university of Illinois um at chicago and um while I was working there I was playing at night so I would you know be in the clubs every night then go home sleep on three hours then go to work yeah. and that that's how i was able to uh before to buy equipment you know
0: yeah
1: and so um I couldn't travel as much as you know everybody else was doing because I had the day job but
0: yeah so it so, all worked
1: out in the end because I've, I've been retired now for 10 years
0: yeah now now aren't you with delmark records yes yeah i thought you were and you know you've I, done you've done a lot of you've done session work for for delmark as well haven't you yeah i have yeah what about with alligator
1: i haven't done any work with alligator yeah no maybe down the line hopefully
0: if anybody ever records another CD yeah
1: man it's kind of a rough time right now
0: No, there's people recording you know there's people you know there's doing it so how many uh, how many CDs have you recorded
1: myself with me and my band
0: three
1: three but Hmm. I I played with um, Big Jack's Chicago Playboys for 13 years and I did five five CDs with him
0: yeah no, I I I'm not familiar with with that. It was is that the guy that was a a dentist or a chiropractor or a doctor or something?
1: No, that's a uh, Dr. Dan. That's um the Chicago uh Chicago Blues All-Star. That's
0: right. The Chicago Blues but All-Star. Big
1: James, That's a horn band. Big Big James plays the trombone.
0: And, okay. Yeah. Okay. Cuz I, I thought I thought I saw the All-Star band at the house uh was it the Hard Rock, wasn't it, or House of Blues?
1: Probably
0: House of Blues. House of Blues, yeah. So uh, you know, when you go out to play in that, you know, what's what's your setup look like? Well, I mean, what what pedals do you have on your your board that you're using?
1: My main board has a uh, would have a wah, a yeah. two, three ones, and uh, and I use the the MXR, um, the MXR. Delay. I can't remember the name of
0: it. Um, oh, the carbon copy.
1: The carbon copy. Yeah, yeah. that's that's my favorite one right now because I, I used to hate it because I I liked the boss the boss delays, but now the carbon copy is my favorite. Yeah. And so, I and used to, um, would have that and um and then and then uh, um some kind of vibe pedal. Yeah. So mostly got like four or five pedals at the most, and the tuner, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, when, when somebody comes to see you play, you, you know, in, in Chicago and that, you know, they can pretty much expect a wide variety of music though, can't they? I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought you did, you know, a variety outside of just, you know, traditional blues. Well, I mean, cause
1: you know, all my life, that's what I listened to, you know, yeah. how, when I learned how to play guitar, I was listening to rock music, I was listening to is up with the Black Sabbath, Jimmy, you know Deep Purple. Yeah, but at the same time, I was um like I was I was raised listening to the blues. You know, mother played blues around her, but she played everything else too R and B and so yeah, I like.
0: Well, I know you like a lot of different stuff because you know we're we're connected on on Facebook, and I notice about every day you got a different T shirt on. Right. It's sometimes, it's sometimes those those T-shirts take you out of the blues element, of course. And then when the whole COVID thing hit, I remember the thing was, I thought this was cool. It was, I, I don't know if it's your basement or whatever, but you would show what concert you were watching.
1: Oh, yeah, I was in my basement. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: man. I'm a big collector of everything I like. I got I got a library in my basement. I have a collection of uh, CDs. Yeah. I have a collection of uh of, DVDs. I just, you know, I, I spent spend all my money on music stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, what player right now is is influencing you? You know, is there anybody that you're really paying attention to right now?
1: Mm, well, that's new or, or just period.
0: Just period.
1: Well, period. Um, other um, the guitar players that's around it would be Clapton, Eric Clapton. Yeah. yeah. Now nah, I'm a big Eric Clapton fan, and uh, Robert Cray. Yeah. I love, I like Robert Cray, you know, and uh, of course Buddy Guy. So you know how can you not like him?
0: <laughs> so, I so, mean, so,
1: you can, but I don't. I, I wouldn't understand it. <laughs>
0: yeah, he can be a little grouchy though sometimes.
1: Man, Buddy, you know Buddy is Buddy. You know what i <laughs> People get a lot of time. People get too comfortable around him, you know, and they want to be all up on him, man. I used to be at his club. I would see Buddy. I would say, "Hey, Buddy, how you doing?" and talk to him, and then just, you know, give him his space. You know, yeah, people own him all all the time. You
0: know, yeah.
1: and you got to give those guys just space.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I used to to hang out at his club. Uh, went well when he had the other was at the other location because uh, I was in a band in my my community where I live because I live south of the city, and uh, Kevin Johnson. Who you probably know, the drummer. Yeah, I know Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, this was back when it was Orlando, right, and Kevin and John Kaki and uh, Scott Holt. I believe okay. we all playing with Buddy at that time. And so I used to go up to the up on Monday nights with Kevin because Kevin was, you know, in the house band with George Bays. Okay you know, and, and this was back when I was first starting to play when I couldn't play and stuff like that. And i tell you what, man, some, some of the, the blues people in the city of Chicago were the most gracious in inspiring and helping somebody that was really young. Cause like George, you know, George Bays would always let me, you know, uh, play and he would always give me advice and and then the biggest one for me was, was Buddy Scott, you know, from Buddy Scott and the Rib Tips. Uh-huh. And, man, Buddy used to invite me around everywhere, you know. I used to jam with him at, like, Lee's Unleaded and Linda's and, you know, all these different places and stuff. And uh, that's one thing I could say about the, the blues people in Chicago. I don't know what it's like now because I, I don't really come up to the city too much anymore in that. But at one point in time, it was like, it was like people were so welcoming is it is is it is it still the same type of atmosphere do people still let people come in and get up and jam and you know oh, yeah yeah
1: but you know, a lot of times you just gotta um you know get to know the people you know yeah you know they're gonna they're not gonna um invite somebody up that they're not sure that they can play you know but mm. i mean what i usually do if somebody asks me say i'll talk with them first just see who they like you know and Ask them how long been playing? And if, if I get
0: a good vibe about them, yeah, I come and play. Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, because you never know when that's going to spark something in somebody. You know, because that can make the world a difference. Because I can speak from experience. You know, my my interactions with Buddy Scott were really really positive, and they were the they were the things that kind of catapulted me into wanting to do music for a living.
1: Well, yeah, you know, as a, as a musician, you should be encouraging the others,
0: yeah. you know,
1: and if, if somebody's willing to try to learn, you should be, you know, to help them as much as you can. I'll give you a perfect example. When I first met um, Taronzo Cannon, mm-hmm. I was I was um, in a house band hosting this jam, I think it was on Belmont Street somewhere, this was years ago, and he was just learning how to play And you know, and he came over and talked to me, and we, we were talking, I gave him my number, I said, well, give me a call. You know, he called me and then he said, "Man, you the first that you told me that I was the first guy that I gave him his number." And, and, and when he called, I answered the phone. <laughs> I was like, "Wow!"
0: <laughs> and
1: I said, "Other musicians would give you that number, they wouldn't answer the phone." He said, "No." Nah. I said, "No." Nah. And then, uh, but look at him now—he's on Alligator Records. He's traveling the world. He's one of the biggest blues artists that, that there is. So, yeah, you never know.
0: Yeah, he's come a long way. Yeah, he's come a long way. It, it's it's it's. I, I, I'm sure he's happy, right? The moment he's still driving a bus, but I was kind of surprised that he was, you know, when uh, when I, when I learned because you know I've seen him, you know, all over the place with you know like Bonamassa and Eric Gale, and uh-huh. you know, it's like those guys are at the tippy top of the food chain when it comes to blues. So,
1: uh-huh.
0: yeah, but well,
1: you know, when you have a family, man, you got to think of. Yeah. Other than just for yourself, you know, you got to raise your family and have, a med- you know, medical benefits and, you know, certain stuff. And yeah. especially if you want to buy guitars and buy equipment and stuff, you got to make some money. And, and even with the blues, if you ain't Buddy Guy, one of them guys, you if you're in the middle, you ain't making that much money where you can just, you know, right. say,
0: well, I, I, I can pay for health care. I don't need a job or none of that. So, <laughs> right. That's why I... My mother made me keep
1: my job when I was, when I first got out of high school. I didn't want to I didn't want to work a job. I was gonna work a job, buy you know, and buy some equipment and quit. Yeah. No, you better keep that job. And she was right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how how often? I mean, do you play every day? Do you have like uh, you know re- practice time? You know, rehearsal time for yourself? Or you know, are you always learning new things? Or you just Mike Wheeler now. And just... <laughs> well, you know what?
1: <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I don't practice a lot.
0: Yeah,
1: but I'm always listening to music. That's that's kind of like that's kind of like a mental practice for me. I'm always either listening to music or watching it on you know on on whatever. But every now and then I pick up a guitar and and um, probably record a couple of the things that's on my mind. You know. Yeah. But I I I've never been a as an all-day player like that because even when before the pandemic i was working almost every day but i, I didn't have time to practice right the show was, the show was my rehearsal
0: you know <laughs> yeah no no no. i completely understand that yeah so uh what kind of uh you know we get people that 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 tune in you know because uh you know there's a lot of guys that come on the podcast that you know, are are really, really great guitar players, of course. And, you know, people are following them. They're wanting to know. And you're kind of a staple in the city of Chicago. So I'm sure there's guys, you know, that are going to listen to this and going to wonder, you know, how do I, you know, what can I do to kind of follow in the steps of somebody like Mike Wheeler, you know, so I can um, get out there and do my own thing. What kind of advice would you give, you know, some young guy that's just, you know, trying to find his way, you know, and kind of wants to get to that place to where, you know, he can play, you know, I don't want to say exactly like you, but you know what I mean, he can play proficiently, you know, he can he can do his thing, you know, what kind of advice would you give a guy?
1: Well, the first thing is to be patient and, you know, take your time with it and know exactly what you want to do, yeah. you know. See, my thing, when I was learning how to play, i didn't just, i didn't just want to learn leads i wanted to learn rhythm too i wanted to be good at both you know i didn't just want to be the guy that solo all through the song i wanted to play chords and solo when it came time to solo you know so whatever your weakness is that's what you work work on if, if chords are your weakness work on your chord and, and you know and if if solo is your weakness you learn you, um work on your soloing but the thing is to be good and try to be good at both and play with as many people as possible and keep your mind open to different styles of music you know that's how you grow as a musician yeah you know to just being being good at one thing you know
0: yeah that's that's really good advice so do you think that it's a good thing to learn the riffs and the licks of other players or do you think that you should just not do that and just try to develop your own thing or a combination.
1: No, actually, that's the only way to learn is by imitating somebody else, you know. But then you get at some point you got to branch out and try to get your own thing, you know, because there's already been an album king and a BB king, BB king, but they all had influences too. But then when when it came time to be themselves, that's what they were, you yeah. know. Because yeah. I I was reading um a book about Buddy Guy. When he first started off, he sounded just like B.B. King. And B.B. King told him, man, you know, yeah, you sound good. Now I'm
0: your,
1: your voice. <laughs> That's
0: what he did. Quit being Now new. you hear
1: you you Buddy now, you don't hear any B.B. King,
0: you know? Right. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. That's actually really good advice. You know, one thing you said, though, that, that stuck out to me was the fact that you suggest uh, listening to a variety of stuff. Because I know sometimes people get pigeonholed into a type of music Or genre, if you will, that they like, and that's all they listen to. But you know, some of the you know, any all the great players that I've ever talked with always say, you know, you got to really have, you got to expand your mind. You got to pay attention to a lot of different stuff.
1: Yeah, because really, okay, even if you had one, the one thing that you say you you just love the blues. If you listen to all these styles, you can incorporate that into the blues and be different from everybody else.
0: Yep, exactly. See, that was one of the things, you know, when, when uh, um, you know, my, my favorite players are, are a little bit outside of the genre, but when, uh, when Bonamassa came on the scene, that was one of the things that stuck out to me, especially when he did the song Django. You uh-huh. know what I mean? When he started doing violin parts, yeah. you know what I mean on the guitar I thought that was really really cool you know cause it was something the way that it was being done hadn't been it wasn't being done you know nobody was doing it
1: yeah you know you can't be scared you can't be scared to explore the guitar and, and do diff, do different things so, I mean it's easy to do something that's already been done cause it's been done and people's ears are designed to hear that so yeah. you know the, the real players are gonna go go past that and try something else
0: yeah yeah, you know.
1: yeah but
0: Joe Bonmaster is a great player man he's a monster he is he's a monster, he's a beast. I know last year, I hate to admit this last year I saw him five times.
1: oh wow, well, now that's cool,
0: so you know, yeah, it was and the'cause it with, the thing that's really unique about it is is you can go see him two shows in a row and not see the same show right. You know, which I which I like, you know, because some guys you go see them and it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over. You right, that's right. They
1: stuck in whatever they do, they just do the same show every time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But another guy that I like, um, is um Doyle Bram II. Oh, I'm yeah. i I'm, I'm a big fan of his.
0: Yeah, he's good.
1: And I met him a couple of times, man, he's cool guy.
0: Yeah, he's he's a he's a great player you know, and uh, I can understand, you know, the connection, because he was the sidekick there for Clapton for,
1: oh, yeah. huh. and that that's really how I got introduced to him, you know, yeah. to, to his music, is, um, I had, um, was going to see Eric Clapton, he was the opening act, but actually, uh, before that, I had bought his, his CD at, at a store here in Chicago, Rock Records, and, um, I just bought it because it was on sale. I hadn't—I didn't know who he was. It was just on sale. It was like seven, to eight dollars. So I said i will try it out, and man, and I bought it and I fell in love with it. And um, <laughs> after that, I ended up seeing him opening up for Eric Clapton. And then I was just a big fan after that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think it was when he was with the Archangels, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan with you know with Double Trouble, uh-huh. and they did the uh, the Ar- He had the Sexton. Was it Charlie Sexton? Yeah,
1: it was Charlie Sexton. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was a good band. You know? oh yeah it was yeah it was a good band and so that's when I think I got so uh, I gotta ask you though you know you said your your favorite player is Clapton you know what is it about Eric Clapton that you know that inspires Mike Wheeler
1: I think this his longevity and his um his he played a bunch of different styles you know yeah and um cause in the 70s I remember in the 70s the one of his first albums that I bought was at um uh, at Ocean Boulevard, 361 Ocean
0: Boulevard.
1: Yeah. So I kind of just, I bought that. I, um, another record, that was on sale, and I just bought it, and I had to be like 13 or 14, and I, and I fell in love with it. Of course, I shot the chair, was on there, but my favorite song when it was and Children. I used to like that song. I liked the way he was doing the slide stuff on that. Yeah. And me, myself, I'm not a slide player, but I I, I like people that can do it, you know? Yeah, but he's he's just man. He's just a great player to me. I just I I love everything he do.
0: Yeah, he's really diverse. I think the thing that stands out to me about him is his uh, his tastefulness, his subtlety. You know, he's a, he's one of those guys that can play three notes, and those three notes just are amazing. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Other guys, you know, like myself, sometimes you know just way overplay. <laughs>
1: well, you know, everybody got their style, you know. I mean, if you say you overplay somebody else might hear that says it's not overplaying.
0: Yeah, know? well, well, those people are usually drunk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank God for that. We got to have some of those. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, what's in, what's in store for Mike Wheeler? I mean, this is going to come to an end. You know, it has to. You know? Well, yeah,
1: well... We're going to do another CD, another album with, uh, Del probably the first of the year, or so, and, um, just to keep playing, man, and try to make it through this madness.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you have any, uh, will you go on the road afterwards, or you, 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 you pretty much stay close to home, don't you?
1: I travel whenever I can, you know, like, yeah. um, last year I went to Europe four times.
0: Oh, wow. So,
1: Man, I, I don't, I don't have any problem with traveling. It's just, it's just having a show to go play.
0: <laughs> they have me, I come. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they've done a couple of blues festivals, didn't they? They just did a big one somewhere. I can't remember where it was.
1: Yeah, but you know, with with the, um, the limited amount of uh, big shows, there's a lot of art, big artists that aren't working, so you know they're going to get those things first. So
0: yeah. I know I'm doing a theater gig in uh, October and the theater is like uh it's like it's, it's a small theater it's like 800 seats but they're only se- they're doing two shows and they're only selling 50 50 seats at each show
1: Yeah it's going to be hard to make money like that but
0: Yeah it's well it, and it's hard to play it at something like that when you got a you know a three quarters away empty room Yeah you know, I don't know. Are yeah. you are you that guy that can? Doesn't matter how many people are there, you just kill it.
1: Well, you know, yeah, I'm 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 the type man. You play for who? If there's only one person that you play for, that person, and you try to give them the best show you can. Yeah,
0: I ain't
1: gonna go out there like, oh, it ain't, it ain't hard. We just dial it in. No, nah, you gotta you gotta get that person to show. So,
0: yeah. so what what about the venues in in the city? You know, like uh, Blue Chicago and. Kingston Mines and stuff like that. You know, I, I hear things and I see things and, you know, you never know what's really going on in that. Are, are they going to reopen or are they having a difficult time? They It's up in the air? Or...
1: Well, they're all going to reopen eventually, you know, but
0: yeah.
1: out of all the clubs, they said um, what, 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 what the mayor has been doing, all these clubs that serve food can open right now. I think the Kings and Mines are are trying to open up back up soon. Yeah. So we'll see. But the other clubs, they uh, like Blue Chicago, they don't they can't open. They don't serve uh food. So yeah. I think Buddy Guy serves food, but I, I think Buddy's not ready. Doesn't want to open right now. So yeah. You know it's, it's kind of bleak, but it's gonna all eventually gonna open back
0: up. Oh yeah, yeah. It'll all it'll all work its way back back around. It's just <laughs> so it's just so sad to see so many. Great musicians, you know, uh, just sitting on the sidelines and that, just trying to, I've talked to a few men that have taken, you know, I talked to one that went to work at Home Depot and, you know, I talked to another one that's dog walking and (laughs) doing something else, you know what I mean? Just doing what they got to do in order to, to get by. Well,
1: Jimmy, you know, the main thing is to survive, man. If you don't, if you don't survive, the future don't mean nothing. You know, because you, you won't be there. Yeah. So you got to do whatever it takes for you and your family to make it. Yeah. I've I never had a problem working a job. I'm just, I'm not going to work a job now because it hasn't got to that point. But if it ever do, I would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So are you going to do uh, a tribute album one of these days to Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix?
1: Oh, uh, I doubt it. <laughs> you know, <it's> so, <laughs> there's so many people that do that, you know. Yeah. But. Even I'll be honest with you. Even with my heroes like that, I I don't play a lot of their songs. You know, yeah. Because you know, people are wearing those songs out. And, you know, people kind of want to hear you know what I what I what I'm about. So right, but I yeah. don't know. I, I would like to do a, a, a tribute to Oldest Rush. You know,
0: yeah.
1: One day, but I'd be Jimmy or or Eric because. Yeah, you know, it's, it's probably somebody be somebody bigger than me would do
0: something like that. But yeah, see, I can't, I can't, I can't do some of those songs simply because I always figure, especially like, like for me, Clapton, it's like I couldn't do a Clapton song simply because how the hell am I going to do it better than him yeah. or different to the point to where it's better, you know? And you can't. It's like you got to pay homage and. You know that those are his songs. It's like it's like doing something by Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? It's like how do you? I don't know how you could turn around and you know some of these people are just so iconic. I don't know. Maybe it's just my my messed up thinking.
1: Well, you know, even myself, man. As much as I like all those, I never try to play anybody's stuff note for note. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just don't think like that. I think that you. You should play whatever come to your mind. You know, that's it. That's that's what would make it interesting. Either make it interesting or make it not interesting. But at least you would be doing something that's that's different,
0: right? So, uh, uh, you doing any uh, Facebook live type uh, streaming, you know, shows here in the, the near future? Or?
1: Not none in the near future. I mean, I, we, we did some when it, when it first, you know. When the when the pandemic first started, and then I think we did one like a month ago. Yeah, I don't I don't see myself doing any more in in, in, in the future. Any, any, I'll put it I mean anytime soon.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of people you know jumped right on it and started doing it right away after they got over the shock, and now that you know you're down the road a little bit, people are starting to wean from it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it, it kind of it, I think it's kind of played out some. You know, for from, from, from myself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I want to get out here. I want to play at these shows. I'll play some shows, you know.
0: Right. Well, I'm going to do something that I normally don't ever do, and that's when this whole thing collapses and everything goes back to normal. I'm going to come up to Chicago and I'm going to sit in with Mike Wheeler.
1: That would be cool. <laughs> you know where, where do you live
0: now? I, I live in Bourbon A. Oh,
1: Bourbon A. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You close
0: to Kankakee
1: yeah 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 oh uh, that's that's where the Bears uh were having their training camp but they didn't do it this year did they
0: uh no they actually uh stopped they don't use they don't uh they don't go to Olivet no more oh they don't Nope, nope nope oh wow they broke their they're they're back at their own facility or something up up in the city
1: Ah, uh, they got tired of spend, spending money out there. Shoot, <laughs> they I, I don't get think.
0: Our old place. <laughs> I know the college down here was spending, you know, millions to to make things, you know, right for these guys because, you know, they would come up with, you know, new things that they wanted stipulations and all this and that, and the college would jump through those hoops because it would bring. Oh my God, this this area would just, you know, explode. But, yeah I yeah during that time and that which I hated cuz the traffic just that's one thing I like about living here there's no traffic Okay <laughs> So
1: how was the music scene down there before the pandemic?
0: Uh you know what uh I don't think the city has a music scene anymore. Um you know I I played I played for a living up until 2012 and um uh, I don't I don't think I've played in this area well, I know I hadn't. It'd had been twenty two years. Oh wow. I hadn't played in this area, you know. Yeah, at I all. did a
1: show there maybe like ten years ago. I can't remember the name of the place but they were doing um, live bands on Sundays, I remember that, but I can't remember the name of it.
0: Oh, you were probably was it was it in town here or was it in Wilmington at the rustic? No, it was in Bourbon a. Was it, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, when I was young and I first started playing, you know, there was probably 10 or 12 places that had live music and that, but now all those places are pretty much gone and uh, I think there's one venue, one bar, I should say one bar in town that'll have bands every now and then and uh, that's it. There's really nothing here. Oh, wow. I do a lot of my... See, I, what I did was is I used to play around here in the beginning, and then I worked my way uh, south. And I was playing a lot in Champaign and Springfield and stuff like that. And I hooked up with Gary Richrath from Ario Speedwagon oh, wow. early really... on. And so I started doing shows with Gary when Gary wasn't with with Ario. He had his own band called the Richrath Band.
1: Yeah, I hate when he left.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he was a great oh. guy.
1: When he passed
0: away, like, two or three years ago? I know it's been, it's been, it's been a little bit longer than that, and I'm gonna say, oh, yeah. somewhere between five and eight years. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's been a while. Oh, yeah. And that, and so, it like, through him, I started hooking up, and I started doing a lot of opening stuff for, like, Leslie West, and Pat Travers, and, oh, wow. you know what I mean, all that kind of stuff, and then eventually, I got on a label out of Nashville, and. I never, I never uh, went overseas, but you know, I toured throughout the United States and that, you know, I do the West Coast, you know, twice a year and, you know, stuff like that. But uh, nothing big, you know. I, I made a living, and that was it, you know. <laughs> That's what
1: it's all about, and you did
0: what you love to do. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But in twelve, I quit, man. I did my last show was in uh, Hollywood, California. I did a double build show with Billy branch. Cause Billy and I had done a bunch of work together over the years. Okay. And, uh, that was the last show that, that I did after that. I was done.
1: So what made you quit?
0: I just, you know what? I just, I just kind of got tired of it. And, uh, when I left, I started doing a radio show. I did a radio show for three years and I took a corporate position, uh, for a national company. And, um, and it was just, I don't know, within the last couple of years, I got the itch. And I recorded an EP. See, this interview is supposed to be about you, not me. I recorded an EP <laughs> in January with Walter Trotzband. With, oh, okay. Uh, with Michael Leisure and Johnny Gruparik, uh, the bass player oh. and the drummer. And uh, I was going to release it uh, early 2020 and then, and then tour. And then, of course, you know, this whole thing hit and... And that all kind of fell apart, and and then I ended up hooking up with some some semi local guys, and we started a band called Six Foot Apart, you know, ironically because of the whole COVID thing. And I don't know, out of nowhere, I ended up with a you know an agent out of Nashville, and he started booking these these small outdoor shows for us all over the place, and so that's what I'm doing now, doing that in the podcast. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh. I wish I could have met Gary. Man, did, did he have a burst?
0: Yeah, yeah, he he had a had a, co- what yeah. yeah,
1: fifty
0: nine Yeah, he had a couple of them actually. Wow. I actually owned uh, not one of his Gibsons, but I owned one of his Epiphones because one of his very first guitars was an Epiphone Paul, and that, uh, which was like a tobacco type burst. Uh, okay. And that, and I had it for. For quite a while i wish i i still had it but but yeah he was he was a cool guy you know there was uh it was a lot of fun i got to open for for ario a couple of times as a result of that which was cool one time it was them and cheap trick together which was nice
1: i got a story for you i, I went to my doctor and uh and his nurse was asking me a couple of questions. She found out I was a musician. She said, oh. She said, my brother's a musician. I said, oh, okay, that's cool. She said, yeah, um, he plays, um, what did she say? Uh, he's a singer. I said, what's his name? Kevin Cronin. I said, what? From <laughs> like,
0: He's
1: just talking like me and him is just the same. We on the same level. I said, he's he's way up there.
0: Yeah.
1: So that was so cool. Every time I go in there, I talk to him and ask him how Kevin's doing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, that is really cool. I know John Oates, his sister, lives here in Kankakee. Oh, yeah, from Holland oats. Yeah, yeah, she lives here.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, but you know what, Mike? It's been really cool chatting with you.
1: Yes, yeah, I here, Jimmy, I appreciate it.
0: Thanks I've had, so a, I, I've had a blast in that, and uh, I look forward to seeing all the cool stuff you post on Facebook, and when things open up, I'm going to come hunt you down.
1: That'll be cool, Jimmy.
0: Yeah, we'll have a blast. Yes, sir. All right, you have a great day. K1. you do the same? All right, thanks a lot, man. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so there you have it. The one and only. That's right, he's both. One and only, Mike Wheeler. You know, I want to thank Mike so much for taking some time out of his schedule in order to uh, let me bend his ear and chat and... Talk about stuff that we feel is, you know, relevant and cool. And so, thanks to Mike. Mike, I really appreciate it. Can't wait for you to get back out there and uh, get in front of some audiences, man, where you deserve to be. In that, check him out at MikeWheeler.com or MikeWheelerBand.com. In that, make sure you're following him on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those places. And when you get to Chicago, Make sure, you know, make sure you look for Mike because you're not going to want to miss it. You know, he's a guy you got to see when you come to Chicago. All right. So thanks again to Mike. Now, next week, my guest is going to be somebody who won the solo IBC competition uh, last year, Kevin Burt. Now, Kevin, man... I tell you what, I my hat's off to anybody that can sit down with a guitar and entertain people with just himself and a guitar. And Kevin is a master at it, you know. He is an absolute master. I had the privilege of uh, watching him uh, perform at a show with Tommy Castro, um, I don't know, right before the pandemic, you know, kind of hit. And uh, he killed it. I mean, really killed it. And so uh, he's, he's a great guy, man, a really great guy, you know, really loves blues, really loves music and that. And so it's good. it was a cool interview. It really was a good interview in that. And, uh, you know, to have somebody, you know, that just entered a competition and now, bam, there you go. Now he's turned more than, well, he was turned more than, you know, you could possibly imagine. So Kevin Burt is going to be my guest on December 30th, that'll be our last show for 2020, say friggin goodbye to that year, let's move on to the next one, I can tell you this, just to give you a highlight, my first show in January, which is on the 6th, is going to be with my guest John Harrington, the guitarist for Steely Dan, so yeah, so you want to, and that's a video interview, so you definitely want to make sure you run into YouTube to watch that because he had his guitar in hand and he plucked a few notes, man, and it was really cool. So, uh, but you know what, before I get out of here in that, I want to tell you on January 1st, we launch a new website, com. One of the things that we're doing to celebrate that is we're having our very first guitar talk improv competition, what happens is is that you go to the website, go to the contest page, register to participate, download the backing track, record yourself, uh, video record yourself playing to the track, and send it back to us on or before January 31st. And enter to win an opportunity to get a free G&L ASAP Blues Boy Telecaster with a gig bag and the opportunity to be a featured guest on an episode of Guitar Talk. That's right. For an entire hour, we're going to talk about you, your gear, your history, your influences. We are going to talk about you so much that you're never going to want to talk about yourself again after this interview. You'll just say, here, go listen to this. Because this is all you need to know about me, it's going to be really cool. Your music will be splashed across our social media. It'll be shared with our partners. It's going to be it'll be on our podcast. It's going to be a good time. And to make it even you know that much better, I've enlisted three amazing guitar players to judge the competition because I can't do it myself, right? So I got Carl Verheyen, the guitarist for Supertramp. Bernie Charavelli, the guitarist for Michael McDonald, and Tim Quick, the guitarist for John Legend, the Bacon Brothers, and the Off Broadway show Rock of Ages. These guys are all players. I mean, serious players. So they're going to be looking at your stuff, man. So you're going to want to kill it. You know, you're going to want to get in there and dig in and just you know emotionally kill that track. And now we can't wait to see it. So January 1st, Guitar Talk official, man, you want to make sure you're participating. And just so you know, everybody that participates, your video is going to be uploaded onto our new YouTube uh, channel at Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren, and it'll also be on our website so that everybody can see it and, uh, you know, see how amazing you are and, you know, it's our way of you know, uh, promoting you as as a guitar player because we appreciate what you do. Now, make sure you're following me, Jimmy Warren, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook, uh, Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren on YouTube. And, uh, man, we appreciate you. We really do. And thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Y'all have a wonderful Christmas That's right. I'm going to say it. Merry Christmas. I said it. There you go. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, man. I wish you and your family the best. I hope you get the gear you've been dreaming of. You know what I mean? Because, man, and I hope you take some time to, you know, sing a few carols and play the guitar, you know, and show off to your friends and, you know, just be that cool player you are. You know what I mean? Happy holidays to y'all. All All right? All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Guitar Talk. I'm Jimmy Warren. Adios, y'all.